Please take a seat. Well, it really is wonderful to be here at the cathedral. And being a Christian really is the best passport in the world. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour and you travel throughout the world, if you meet a fellow brother or sister in Christ, you're immediately at home, aren't you? You feel at home. And one of the things I've noticed as I've travelled around is that Christians are people of song. It's almost impossible to stop Christians from singing, is it not? That's why we sing every time we gather. In fact, Christians are known to sing not only at times of gatherings in our church buildings, but also whenever we wash up or whenever we're travelling along, we travel and we sing Christian songs. Because singing is a vehicle of joy. Singing is one of those unique features of Christian gatherings for Christians have plenty to rejoice about. Mind you, it's not singing per se which is unique, is it? Because lots of people sing. Uh, People in football stadiums sing, don't they? People in pubs sing when they're a little bit more jolly from the alcohol. Uh, University students sing during orientation times. In fact, as my family were gathering in Malacca, there's uh, those of you who've been, hands up, you've been to Malacca and you've seen that tower that goes up, hands up, uh, oh, I can speak with authority. Oh, there's a few of you, okay. There's that tower that goes up, you know, that revolves and you see the whole of Malacca. Anyway, it's been fairly recent, I understand. We went up there, but we were at the bottom and there were these university student groups gathering and they cornered us. And they said, we'd love you to sing a song. They cornered anybody who looked foreign. I don't know why they cornered me, but anyway, they they cornered me. And then they said, you know, we want you to sing. And this song was, Rasa Sayang A. Hands up if you know that song, those of us who are local. Rasa Sayang A, Rasa Sayang A, Rasa Rasa Sayang A, you know. And we sang it together and, and they wanted us to sing it on our own because it was some kind of novelty for a foreigner to sing a local song. So there we were singing, Rasa Sayang A, Rasa Sayang Sayang A. And then it goes on. And then I asked them, what, what does it mean? Does anybody know what it means? It means... I feel besotted, you know, gooey, lovey palpitations towards a girl named Nuna who is far away. Did you know that? That's what it means. We sing it, you know, I'm beloved, I'm feeling, oh, about Nuna who's a long distance away. And we're singing it, you know, wonderfully. (laughs) Russ, I love Nuna, I love Nuna all the time. We had no idea what we were singing. But you see, singing is one of those things that we do, but it's not the content, or rather it is the content that matters, isn't it? What people joyfully sing about can be about as useful as singing about palpitations for Nuna, whoever that is. But the psalmist here in Psalm 98 calls on his people to sing a new song. Now, so that you know I'm not making this up. I'd love you to open up your Bibles, please, to Psalm 98 on page 600. So that you know it's not coming out of Richard's brain, which is rather besotted about many things, but make sure that it's God's word that you're listening to and not me, not the word of Richard, but the word of God. Please look at there in Psalm 98 and verse 1. We're going to be working through this psalm over the next few minutes this morning. Verse 1, page 600, Psalm 98 says, O sing to the Lord a new song, 
for he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Please note, he calls upon his people, the psalmist, to sing a new song. But this is not a reference to style. It's not as if it's an ancient equivalent to Christian rock music or something like that, or when we come with new versions of songs to old hymns or something like that, that it's a new song per se. No, it's a reference to content. Do you know this phrase, new song, occurs nine times in the whole of the Bible, and I would argue that on each and every occasion, when you actually look at the wider context, the phrase new song actually refers to God saving his people. Salvation. Indeed, we just sang it, didn't we? Back, it's, it's there, if you just turn one, keep your finger there, but just turn back one page to Psalm 96. What we just sang, look at verse 1, verse 1, Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. That is, every time you see this phrase, new song, and you can trace it all the way through the book of Revelation, I would argue it's all about God saving his people. When he says, sing to the Lord a new song, he's saying, sing to the Lord, and indeed to one another, of what God has done to save his people. Because it makes sense for God's people to especially sing of their own salvation. And we can't help but burst forth into praise to our God and to one another for what he has done to save his people because in saving his people it reveals his character. It reveals what God is like. So look at verse 2 of Psalm 98. Come back to Psalm 98, verse 2. What does he reveal of his character when he saves his people? The Lord, verse 2, has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. And all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. See, when Israel, the Old Testament people of God, sang of God's salvation, they couldn't help but sing of his righteousness, his right actions as creator and judge. They couldn't help but sing of his faithfulness, his undying commitment to his promises. They couldn't help but sing of his steadfast love, of his tender-hearted love towards God's people. When Israel reflected on what God had done, they couldn't help but reflect on the godness of his character, in other words. And it took their breath away in song. In song. And throughout their sordid history, do you remember when Israel did sing, the people of God? You think about the Old Testament story. When did they burst forth in song? Well, they sang when they were rescued out of Egypt in a blaze of signs and wonders when Pharaoh's army had been drowned in the Red Sea. They actually sang after that, would you believe, when they were saved. In Australia, the youth group sing, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, ooh baby, let my people go. Sorry, that's just a teenage thing, right? That's the song. Also, they sang after their 40 years in the wilderness when they were rescued in Deuteronomy 32. They sang Deborah and Barak 
saying after Israel defeated the Canaanites in Judges chapter 5. A King David himself sang when he was delivered from the hand of all his enemies in 2 Samuel chapter 22. You see, they sang in times of salvation. They sang when they were rescued and delivered by God himself. But when Israel were defeated, when Israel were downtrodden, they couldn't sing. In Psalm 137, we read the psalm that starts with the famous line, By the rivers of Babylon. Do you know that psalm? In fact, in that psalm, by the rivers of Babylon, we learn that the tormentors are there. They're in Babylon, who are the enemies of Israel. They had captured Israel and all their leadership, and certainly there, and they had hung up their musical instruments on the trees. And the enemies were taunting Israel, saying, Come on, sing us one of those songs of Zion. Sing us one of those songs from where you came from. Go on, sing. And they said, No, we can't sing. In fact, may the tongue cling to the roof of my mouth because I cannot sing when I'm under judgment. What's so ironic is that there's a band called Boney M. You've heard of them? They put that psalm into song when in fact the psalm is all about not singing. But why could they not sing? Because at that time when they were downtrodden in Babylon, they were judged by the rivers of Babylon. But Israel, of course, did have cause to sing of their salvation over and again. For by God's steadfast love, he stuck by them. And they had cause to sing over and over again, despite the fact that they had failed God over and over again. And if Israel could sing of God's love for them, how much more can you and I sing of what God has done for you and me, this side of the cross, this side, as it were, of the first Christmas. We who were sinners, we who suppressed the knowledge of God and were happier to worship created things than the God who made us, we who were people who were corrupt in so many ways in our relationships and selfish to the core, You know, when you travel the world, I know that in our own nation of Australia where my family have grown up and I've spent most of my life now, I get so sick and tired of the materialism that is so much of the air that we breathe and the selfishness that is there. But you know, it's no different in other parts of the world when you see families fighting over inheritance rights when you see the love of money driving conflict, when you see what's happening in Wall Street, driven by greed. Isn't it funny when you see Wall Street? People think that the stock investors make sheep look like independent thinkers. That is, sheep are meant to be stupid animals who just follow, but what do the people do? Oh, everybody's selling. I've got to sell. Everybody's buying. I've got to buy. Why? Because I don't want to miss out. It's like that all over the world. And we are selfish to the core, but we who are Christians, we are the ones that God declared right with him, freely by the blood of Jesus, gave us peace with God, settled all the outstanding debt, settled all the outstanding conflicts, so that we could rest in his Love, his tender-hearted love. 
And not only that, he secured our future, gave us a genuine hope. Not a wishful thinking hope, but a genuine hope. A hope that sticks so that we need not fear his wrath anymore. And we have been given a guaranteed future in his presence. And even we, when we were his enemies, he reconciled us, united us to his own precious, perfect, sinless son, so that we can share in all the benefits of his death and resurrection. And he poured his spirit into our hearts so that we can roll that word around in our mouth. Father. We can call him Father as no other religious person in this world can call God Father. And so when we go through those times when we are overwhelmed and just cannot find the words to express our grieving hearts, his spirit can take our mangled words and somehow articulate them to the Father so that he can answer our prayers. Do you know what I've just done? I've just traced through the book of Romans ever so superficially. That's what God does, you see. How much more can we sing if God has done that for you and me? In 2001, September 11 happened, didn't it? Aeroplanes flew into the Twin Towers in New York. You know, two days after that, my mother died. It was a very numbing week after a 17-year battle with cancer. My father and I were at her bedside. She was in a coma. And she suddenly stopped breathing. I'd prayed and prayed together with my father to see her heal, but she wasn't. And you kind of don't know what to pray at that point. But God can take our mangled words when our hearts are grieving and articulate them to the Father. That's our Father. That's what God is like. See, here is God's righteousness towards us. Here is God's faithfulness towards us. Here is God's tender-hearted love towards us in Jesus. And it ought to take our breath away in song. It ought to bring us to our knees. It ought to intellectually and emotionally stagger us. Does it? Does it stagger you? Would you just come to church week in, week out and just mind through the words and just think, yeah, this is a fun thing? Does it stagger you what God has done in the person and work of Jesus Christ? It's just so right and appropriate for God's people to sing of our salvation, isn't it? We are especially the ones who can sing. And you hear the twist. Come back to Psalm 98 in verse 4. Here's the twist. It says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make joyful noise before the King, the Lord. In other words, God is saying here, even though it's appropriate for God's people to sing of what God has done, he now invites all the earth to break forth in joyous songs about God at saving his people. In other words, here at the psalmist's way of speaking about telling others 
about Jesus. Others everywhere. He calls on everyone, not just Israel, but Egypt and Assyria and Babylon to sing praises regarding Yahweh, regarding God. This side of Jesus, I take it, he's calling upon the atheists and the materialists to sing our song. He's calling upon people from every tribe, every language, every nation, every other religion to sing our song, to sing songs of God and what God has done. And they have to do so exuberantly with instruments. The neighbours of Israel were to use the lyre, a type of harp, trumpets, horns. These were all very significant instruments that accompany the significant proclamation of God and what he has done. He's called upon all the earth. But it's not just all the earth, all the people of the earth, but all creation are to sing. Look there in verse 7. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and all those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy. All the earth. It is as if creation is to provide some kind of musical rhythm that spectacularly accompanies the articulate singing of the people of all the earth. The seas are to roar, but not just the seas, the thing in the seas are to roar. The whales are to roar. Have you ever heard a whale roar before? It's not just the whale, it's everything inside the whale that is to roar. The little fish inside, the seaweed are to roar. Everything in the whole of creation is to roar because of what God has done. And the rivers are to lead the applause, the hills are to actually come alive like a mighty choir of joyful praise to God. There isn't to be one quiet corner, not one unmoved creature, not one silent mouth, not one. But what are they to sing about? God's steadfast love to Israel. Did you get that? All the earth are to sing about what God has done for his people. All the earth are to sing about what God has done to save his people. But it's not the only reason. The reason that all of creation is to sing so exuberantly is not only to express their joy in God's steadfast love to Israel, but also to express their joy in, look at verse 8 again. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. Why? Why? No, for because he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. That is, all creation will joyfully sing because God will judge rightly. And the psalm stops there. No explanation. No apology. Just a full stop there. I wonder how much God's coming judgment makes you feel like singing. Because that's what the psalm says. Do you see? It's actually there. Please note, read the psalmist's lips. Not Richard, it's it's saying it, isn't it? All creation will joyfully sing because God will judge rightly. I wonder how much we rejoice in, let alone sing about, God's judgment to come. Can you think of any songs with God's judgment? Any hymns you sing in church? Can you think of one? Well, the minister can, but he's trained to do that. Anybody else? Can you think of one song with judgment in it? It's rare, isn't it? Let me ask you another question. 
I know my family know this, so they're not allowed to answer. Am I allowed to ask people questions and them answer? It's okay, it's not okay. Doing the right thing. How many times do you think the word hallelujah occurs in the Bible? Just give me a rough estimate. Let's pretend it's an option. Okay? Just count, just shout out a number. Hallelujah. Right? Praise the Lord. How many times? Anybody? Just over this, this side, this half, just call out a number. How many times do you think? Just call out a number. Okay. Any number? A hundred. Okay. From this side, how many times do you think? Anybody take us for more than a hundred? Less than a hundred? Seven hundred. Yep. Four. Did you cheat? No? He's right. Did you know that? Hallelujah occurs only four times in the Bible. In the New Testament, I should say. In the New Testament. Right? Four times. Do you know where they all are in the New Testament? In Revelation chapter 19. And three out of those four times, it's all about judgment. Did you know that? Praise the Lord for judgment. Three out of the four times in the whole New Testament, we sing hallelujah more in one song than the whole New Testament, don't we? Why do you sing about judgment? Why do you praise the Lord about judgment? Well, if you were in the Sudanese region of Darfur, you might long for the judgment of God, wouldn't you? If you don't know much about the Sudanese region of Darfur, it's a place where the African peacekeeping forces are not able to protect the thousands of refugees from the militia who are raping, who are decapitating, who are murdering at will. And if you were one of the victims, or if you were the ones who saw your wife or your husband or your father or your mother killed before your eyes, why, you would long for the judgment of God. Or in nearby Cambodia, where there was a man whose nickname was the Butcher. He was really the man who carried out so much of the literal butchering under Pol Pot. Do you know he died of natural causes recently, a couple of years ago, and the people of Cambodia were outraged because he was due to be killed, but he died naturally beforehand. And they were outraged that he died. Death was not good enough for the butcher. Do you see? And if anything happens to you, and it happens to us all over the world, doesn't it? Wherever it is, if you are the victim of corruption, if you are the victim of unseen lawlessness, if you are the victim why, you would long for the judgment of God. That's why the martyrs are crying out in Revelation chapter 6, How long, O Lord, before you will judge the earth and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? For God to not judge the world would show that he didn't care. To see injustice and not be moved into action is to express a cold indifference rather than love. It is because God does love that he will judge. It is because God gives a damn that he will damn. It is a terrific thing that God will judge the world. And what makes God's judgment so good to sing about is that it is God's judgment. For only God is knowledgeable enough and wise enough to get it right. Only God is powerful enough to enforce it. Only God can judge with absolute equity, unlike the corruption that passes for judgment in our world. 
And God has shown his righteous judgment already, hasn't he? In the flood, in the exodus, in the exile, in handing people over to their sinful desires and supremely when all the raging anger of God that should have been poured out on you and me was turned away from us unto Jesus, when he took the ultimate judgment instead of you and me so that we might be saved. But there is another judgment to come. Because, you see, we know more about the judge because the Father, God the Father, has entrusted all judgment to the Son who has risen from the dead. And Jesus knows human life from the inside. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer injustice, doesn't he? He was there before Pontius Pilate. They were calling out for his crucifixion even though he had never sinned. They were calling out for his torture even though he had never done anything wrong, never thought anything wrong. He knows what it's like to suffer from injustice. Jesus knows what it's like yet, however, to respond in steadfast love even to those who crucified him. He knows how not to abuse his power and he will judge rightly. Isn't it marvellous to know that judgment is in the hands of the risen Lord Jesus and he will get it right. And if you know of corruption in our own land here and in every other country in the world, then you too will long for God's judgment as I do. So dear brothers and sisters, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvellous things. And let's long to sing about God's salvation and also God's judgment. We actually did sing about God's judgment today. Did you know that? See him coming on the clouds of heaven. That's judgment. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That's judgment when he comes. And let's long to have many, many more join us sing these songs. In other words, many, many more become Christians. From every tribe, from every language, from every people, from every nation. To the glory and wonder of God the Father. Will you pray with me for a moment? We thank you, dear Father, that you are righteous and good and for your steadfast love in sending Jesus to take upon himself the ultimate judgment and to entrust all judgment to him, the final judgment to him. And we pray, Father, that we will lose our breath in song to you and stand in awe and wonder of what you have done in the person and work of Jesus so that we might live for you with great joy and long for your return. And Father, we pray all of this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thanks, Richard. In our next song, we uh, call on ourselves uh, to sing of God's